0: So it's an amazing story. The creator of everything that you see around you, the intricacies of how your body functions, and the beauty of a Lake Erie sunset. That one who created it all chose them simply because he wanted to. It wasn't one of those, if. I scratch your back, you'll scratch mine. In fact, he vowed to himself. He, he, He promised himself that he would take them and love them, protect them, feed them, house them. He would give them festivals of joy. Joy would permeate the land. And he would forgive them for the mistakes they would make. And all they had to do, all they had to do, was trust him and let him display his power in his love and keep them in awe. And the response to him was basically, nuts to you. So they lost their family and they lost all of their friends, many of their friends, to warfare and to starvation. They lost their land, they lost their homes, they lost their temple, they lost their worship, they lost their culture, they lost their love, they lost their reason for existence. And 70 years after their loss, this same Creator comes back to them and says to them, I still want you to come back home. So bring what you have left, bring who you are, and I'll take it. It's the same promise he makes to us here in this place today. Pam and I were traveling, flying back to Erie years ago before Detroit had the Northwest Terminal. So it was the old Detroit Airport. How many have been in that old Detroit Airport? Yeah. I had really not flown in the Detroit airport much, but I, figured, I, I thought I had it pretty well figured out. And so we had gotten off a plane and needed to rush over to where the plane for Erie takes off. And you know that if you miss that plane taking off to Erie, you may not get home. In fact, I'm of the opinion that many more people go into Detroit airport than ever come back out again. <laughs> I saw Jimmy Hoffa there a couple of weeks ago. So we were hurrying and I looked down at my ticket and saw the gate number. Didn't bother to try to find the monitors and they were hard to find in that old airport anyhow. So I said, Pam, I know where it is. She said, are you sure? I said, come on, hurry. So I'm hurrying her along and, and we're rushing through to get to the gate, only I didn't recognize the fact that I had looked at the previous ticket for the gate number. So I hurried us, hurried us right out of security. Outside the terminal. And she told me how, what a genius I was. (laughs) And so here we are outside of security. And if we want to continue, we got to get back into security and back on our journey. So finally, we work our way back through security. And now it's going to be too late. We're not going to catch our flight. There is no way that we're going to get ourselves down to that gate. And so my wife walks up and she just she just worked her magic. She walked up to a guy driving a cart. And she smiled at him with that smile. And she said, "We got to get down." And she named the gate. The guy said, "You're never going to make it." She said, "Yeah, but you could take us." And my husband will pay you big bucks. (laughs) He said, "Get in." (laughs) So we jumped in, and he radioed ahead, and they held the plane, and we got on. But it cost me big time. See, the issue is this: that there are moments that we think that we've got it under control. We think we've got it set, and we walk a direction we think we should go, and we end up walking outside God's security. And we know that if we want to get in our journey, we got to get back into that security, back into that realm, into that region, because we know our wanderings have already cost us big time. How do we do that? Because we feel so lost. It's simply this. We have got to return to our holy sight. So this Persian king named Cyrus stands before these people who have been in bondage for 70 years and he declares to them that this God, Jehovah God, that he does not worship. This Jehovah God that that he is aware of but he has not worshiped has told him to build the temple, the temple that, he, that the guys before him, his predecessors, had destroyed and the, and the city they had destroyed and wiped everything out. He said, that God has come to me, and though I don't worship him, he told me, I'm in charge of building your temple so that you can go back home. And although you said to that God, nuts to you, he's saying, come back home. I'll take you. And they jump at the chance. And so as we're walking through this book of Ezra, we pick up where we left off last week, Ezra, the second chapter. You may want to take your Bible, look at it. It's near Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. You may want to just use the, the uh, scripture that is on your notes. But join with me and look there, Ezra, the second chapter. When they arrived at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem, some of the family leaders made voluntary offerings toward the rebuilding of God's temple on its original site. And each leader gave as much as he could. The total of their gifts came to 6,100 gold coins, 6,250 pounds of silver, and 100 robes for the priests. So they arrived where the temple once stood, and you know that they had to stand there and stare at what once was. You know that feeling. You know the loss. You go back and say... Look, look at the pictures. Look how we were once a happy family. Look, look at how the finances that I had and the retirement fund were all in place before. You look at the ruins and say, man, what used to be? They look at what used to be and they remember the blessing of Jehovah God and his protection and his care and the abundance of what he had given them. And they lost it all. They remembered how their religion had become a covering for their own desires. So they could get their own way. So they began to worship this foreign god called Baal. The god of thunder and lightning who has been busy and eerie for weeks now. (laughs) This god of fertility... That if you please this God, you'll have good crops. If you please this God, you'll have good, good cattle. The cattle will multiply. If you please this God, you'll have abundant families. And so they worshipped this God. And the way that they would worship is they would put prostitutes in the temples and come have a relationship with the prostitutes to please the God. And they walk right outside of God's security. They had worshipped the God Moloch. So you would take your infant child, your son, and you would take him to the flames of the fire there in Jerusalem and you would take your child and you would incinerate your child in the fire to please the god Moloch who would then affirm your vows and say everything's good for the remainder of your year because you gave this kid. They would make these gods and then appease them. So then they could live their life the way they wanted to from that point on because you see we like gods we can control Because we can control them Then we can appease them and we can live life the way we want to that way we can create gods in our own image And as we do that We will move away from his security. You say well, I don't have any idols You go back to that place that you know that God told you to do something or told you not to do something and you did it or didn't do it and you disobeyed, that is your God. That is your idol. It's so easy within our culture as you watch... as you watch the movies or the television, listen to the music, to to believe that it's okay with God that you're involved in sexual relationships outside of marriage. It just it just makes sense because it's just a fun thing and but God says, No it's not. It's not the way I designed it. And and when you do that you're outside of my will. And you say, Well okay, but everything but but intercourse is okay. But no, it's not what God said. And we've we've had these, these times where I've talked to you very candidly about that. And see if you're wrapped up in that right now, in a relationship outside of marriage, it's your idol. And whether you understand it or not, your journey is taking you outside of of that that, that protection of God. Some of you have been so wrapped up in getting stuff, and it's so easy in our culture to do that, because you, you, you deserve that stuff, that your debt load is so high that when God says, I want you to share what you have with other people, I want you to tithe to declare... That God is Lord in your life because the tithe belongs to him. In fact, one of his prophets said, "If if you take your tithe and you give it to yourself or someone else, then you're stealing from God because the tithe always goes to the God in your life. And we move outside his protection. Some of us have allowed our schedules to get so full and our kids get to go to so many things that we are so helter-skelter and running in so many directions that we don't have time to actually gather around a relationship with Jesus as a family, let alone hardly make it to worship service. And he said, what happened to the day that I told you that I wanted you to give to me that you could just relax and enjoy me and worship me and spend time together as a family and you don't have time for that and you're moving outside that protection that he has because that's your idol, it's your your time, your calendar. And see, here's the danger that we face when we have idols, when we have other gods. The prophet Hosea, chapter 9, verse 10, says it this way. The Lord says, O Israel... When I first found you, it was like finding fresh grapes in the desert. You're so refreshing. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the first ripe figs of the season. It was so exciting. But then they deserted me for Baal, Peor, giving themselves to the shameful idol. And soon they became vile, as vile as the God they worshipped. The imagery of the prophet's words are these, that you came close to me and we were so close in fact god would describe it as being the apple of my eye meaning the little pupil in the in the eye which was this that you get so close to god that you can see your reflection of yourself in his pupil he said we were that close so often the word of intimacy with god means face to face we were face to face together but then your affection said but there's some other stuff over here that i want to do and they became your idols And the danger is, no matter what it is, whether it's sensuality or materialism or a hectic schedule or you just got to rise to the top at work, whatever that thing is, it begins to shape you. Listen, we are always being transformed. Something is always transforming us, and whoever our God is has the lead in that. Whoever you bow down to has the lead in the transforming of who you are. And you become just like the God you worship the one that you truly bow to, the one that you give your time and your effort toward. And the question I have for us today, is that what what we want to turn out like? What what is that God and do we really want to be that way? How did we veer off? King David was an incredible worshiper. He wrote so many wonderful psalms and he led the, 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 the children of Israel in worship. In fact, as their worship expanded, so did their boundaries of the kingdom. Worship was the key. But somewhere he began to go another direction and his worship diminished. And as his worship diminished, his sensuality grew. And one day, standing on his roof, he became a voyeur. He began to watch a woman bathing and eventually had an affair with that woman. And then in order to cover up the pregnancy that came as a result of that affair, he had her husband murdered so that he could take her to be his own. And how do you get that numb? It wasn't until a prophet came to him and said, You're the guy. You you have offended God, let alone the people you have heard in your kingdom. It is a scary thing for me sometimes when when I get close enough to God and I realize how numb I have been in certain situations when I've begun to develop idols in my life that that are not that 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 are so contrary to him. It gets so numb. But then we begin to wake up. We feel that pain. I think of the woman who had some surgery and she's coming out of anesthesia and she's in the waiting room or in the, in the room where they, they put you to come out of that. And and her husband's sitting next to her and she she looks up out of the anesthesia and she smiles and she says, you're so handsome. He says, thanks, honey. And she fades back out. And a little later she wakes up again and she goes, you're so cute. He says, well, what happened to handsome She said the drugs are wearing off. (laughs) You see, for some of you, the drugs are wearing off. You're beginning to realize the pain that you're in, and you say, how do I get back there? You've got to come back to that holy site. The psalmist comes back and he says... You, to you, O Lord, you alone have I sinned. Now, yeah, he sinned against the others, but his greatest offense was to his God. He said, I've come back to the holy site and recognize what I have done. You and I were here together and I left you. Look at the ruins that are here. Oh, God. Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Give me a willing spirit. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Oh, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. So they come back to this holy site and they realize how they have offended God and they come and they give to him. Now understand that, that a lot that they gave was just what, about what they had left because they'd used it all up to get there. So they had just a little bit left and they take it all and they give it to him and say, here, I'm giving you all that I am. Everything that I am, I'm coming back to this holy site and here you go, you get this. And then, not only do they give them everything they have, but they say, where we had once disobeyed, we come back to that disobedience and we reestablish ourselves right here and we begin to obey. Now see, there is no restoration yet. There is no temple There is no building of the walls, they don't have crops, they're not in homes, they don't have anything except what used to be, and they're coming back saying, we start right here at the center, the holy site. I come back to that place where I had you before, and whether I see any other restoration, right now, this is the important issue. See, some of us this morning need to come back to that holy place where we knew the intimacy of God, and we've got to come back and say, everything I have, I give it back to you, because I hate where I've been. And where I have disobeyed you, I come back to obey you once again. Where we left off, I'm coming back to take that back in my hands and say, I will obey you. I'm coming back. Because I'm going to tell you that when we disobey God, we keep walking until we come back to that obedience again. And in that process, when we do that, we begin the restorative process, but we don't see any of it yet. And that's not the important issue. The important issue is your relationship with God. And when we come to that spot... We start with our obedience. That while I'm waiting for you to restore, I come to be with you, to worship you. So while I'm waiting, I will worship. While I'm waiting, I will obey. While I'm waiting, I will trust you. come to the holy place. The place where you come back and say, here's where I veered. And so I'm going to wait for you because I'm going to bring you everything that I have and and, and I'm going to begin to obey you. So while I'm waiting, I'll obey you. While I'm waiting, I will worship you. While I'm waiting, I will move confidently ahead. Because your restoration is now taking place. So at that point, we need to begin to practice our restoration. You don't wait till God brings back everything that you lost. You begin now understanding what he's going to do and begin preparing for it by living for that restoration, living in obedience to what he says he wants you to do. And doing so, you are already preparing yourself for what he will send your way. And so these folks, for 70 years, didn't just sit there, but they were looking toward their restoration they're coming back to, to God, and, and for the seventy years they're beginning to understand that they need to keep the Sabbath, and so they begin to, to honor the Sabbath even while they're in captivity. They begin to follow the laws of purity. And during that time, their their thirst for idolatry is purged out of them. So that they are ready. When you're waiting, it's not lost time and and, and you haven't lost things. But during that time, understand that God is purging out of us those things that need to be out of the way so that when the restoration comes, we can receive it in the proper manner. And so they were ready because they'd already begun to worship. And so when they arrived, they were able to understand that worship trumps fear. They had come to this place, the scripture, I'll show you in just a moment. They came to this place where they saw where the altar used to be. And there at that altar, they said, we've got to rebuild this thing. Because as they rebuilt it, they came and they brought their sacrifices and said, here is our sinful way. You kill it. That's what the sacrifice represents. You kill it. And here is our cry. You hear it. Because all my bet is on you now that you will get me where I need to go. I'm trusting you. So Ezra continues to tell us the story. Ezra 3, verse 1. In early autumn, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled in Jerusalem with a unified purpose. Then Yeshua, son of Jehozak, joined his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, son of Shetel, with his family in rebuilding the altar of God of Israel. They wanted to sacrifice burnt offerings on it as instructed in the law of Moses, the man of God. And even though the people were afraid of the local residents, they rebuilt the altar at its old site. They were afraid, but they built. Then they began to sacrifice burnt offerings on the altar to the Lord. How often? Each morning and evening. So they're coming to this altar every morning, every evening. They keep coming back saying... Kill the sin within us and hear our cry. We need to be restored. Hear our cry. That's what God does for us. See, when you come back to him, you cry out, oh, God, don't let me get back to where I was before. I want to have you in in your purity. And I cry out to you, here's what I think I need. Please restore me. I want to tell you a story. When my brother Jay, and many of you know Jay, he's been here before, and done children's ministries. and, And Jay is 51 and he's still a child. And he travels around the world talking to children about Jesus in all different dialects and cultures. But he's, he's just hes just got this kid thing inside of him. And so he came to visit us when we lived in Oregon. And he'd been with us for three or four days and then he got ready to leave. And early in the morning, I got up to take him to the airport and he was already up, ready, ready to go. And he said, as I took him to the airport, he said, when you get home, go look at your kids. Well, what we didn't know is that Early in the morning, he had gotten up and he'd gone in the bedroom where uh, Chad and Dustin were in bunk beds. They were about 8 and 10. With a marker, because they were sleeping in their boxers, he began to draw on them, drawing glasses on their eyes and mustaches and then drawing faces on their chest. In fact, during that time, Chad woke up and, and looked at Jay and Jay said, Go to sleep. And he just conked right back out. So I walked in his room and saw them painted up. And and um, I got Pam and we went in there. And they heard us laughing. So they both woke, woke up and wondered what we were laughing at. So Chad leaned down and, and looked at Dustin. And Dustin got up and looked at Chad. And they saw each other thinking the other one had been painted but not themselves. They didn't realize each one of them had been painted. So finally they looked and said, what did he do to us? I have a picture here. Aren't they handsome? Don't tell them I showed you that picture. And we learned something very important about this incident. Two lessons. Number one, we are controlled by what we fear. Because next time Jay visited, we all locked our doors. (laughs) Secondly, We are marked by who we welcome. Jack Hayford has this wonderful quote that's on your notes. The transformation brought about by the weight of God's glory will leave the mark of his presence on us. So they come to this altar. And although they're afraid of the enemy around them, they build the altar because they're more afraid of not having God. See, when you fear God enough, you do not fear anybody else because his mark is on you and it is the mark of peace. And peace simply is the trust that God's control is greater than anybody else's. You will come to this place when you spend time with God in worship that you say, I trust you and I'm at peace and nothing anyone else can say or do around you will move you away from that altar that you have created in your life where you come to God and say, kill my own desire so that I do what you want You want, and I've come to obey you. I've come to cry out to you. See, that's how we practice our restoration. The distrust trumps fear. And then what happens is that joy trumps regret. See, they have not yet seen the temple; it's not been built. They just—it's in ruins. They have the walls are still down. There's there's enemies still around. The crops have not are are not harvesting. They still don't have anything. But they begin to live out their expectations. And here's what they do: Ezra three verse four. They celebrated the festival of shelters. As prescribed in law, sacrificing the number of burnt offerings specified for each day of the festival. They also offered the regular burnt offerings and the offerings required for the new moon celebrations and the annual festival as prescribed by the Lord. The people also gave voluntary offerings to the Lord. Fifteen days before the festival of shelters began, the priests had begun to sacrifice burnt offerings to the Lord. This was even before they had started to lay the foundation of the Lord's temple. Three months after they arrived, they begin Rosh Hashanah. It's called the head of the year. It's the beginning of the festivals. It begins with the sounding of the ram's horn, which is the horn of joy. Now understand, they don't even have the foundation of the temple in place yet, but they are already celebrating in anticipation of the restoration. Shortly thereafter, after this celebration and the ram horns have sounded and they've gone through this declaration... Ten days later, they begin Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, the declaration that God has forgiven us, he has brought us home. We, we, our sins have been eradicated, and they give those sacrifices. Following that is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the joyous harvest celebration in anticipation. I mean, they don't even have a harvest. They don't have a harvest, but they're already celebrating the harvest in anticipation of this God. These festivals were not, hey, look what God gave us and we are so happy. It's look what God, who God is and what he's going to do. And therefore, we anticipate the joy we'll have during that time. So we're going to have the joy right now because we know what he's going to do. You see, you have come to God and you have said, here, I'm giving back myself to you all in totality. And now you know that he wants to restore you. You begin now in your joy and your declaration. Anticipation of what God's going to do. I'm going to ask Elena Estevez to join me on stage. Elena, where are you? Is Ralph with you? Didn't make it. Okay, come on up here. This is Elena, and Ralph is not with us because he's a pharmacy student at Lecom. And probably studying his brains out this morning. (laughs) They showed up a couple years ago. They're originally from the Dominican Republic. They showed up. He's going to to Com, And we were talking and we've established a friendship. And and you were saying that you had to come up with X amount of dollars to pay for this. And you believe that God was going to give you everything that you needed while you were still here before you left. How much did you say that you guys were going to need? $90,000. $90,000. You didn't have that when you came?
1: Not at all.
0: Not at all. She, they didn't have the money. So, he went to school. She got involved in worship settings, and about every prayer meeting I go to, I'd find her running around there praying and worshiping God. And you would do this wonderful thing that periodically you would show up with an envelope full of money, and you said that, that was your first fruits offering. Now in the scripture, the first fruit is the first thing that comes off the harvest or the first thing that comes in the cattle And it's brought to the priests and it is representation of an offering to God believing that God is going to then fulfill a harvest And so you would you would bring just it would be it would be various amounts We would lay hands on that and pray that that seed would produce for you What were you thinking while we were doing all of that
1: when you came back from sabbatical rest you stood here and you shared so many things God did for you and one of them was um, the Lord told you that he had poured out this uh, favor but that favor was not just for Jack and but it was for your family as well and not just for your family but for Erie first and I remember that day I held my hands up high and I said God I receive that favor and I took it and I believed it in my heart And since that time, things started shifting. And I knew it would shift because I was plugging to you by that first fruit.
0: So we prayed over those first fruits. And a couple weeks ago, you came up and showed me a check to pay. Become. How much was that check?
1: Last summer, we wrote down our debts. And $19,000 in our credit card, unwanted, totally unwanted debt. And up to that point, $72,000 from Likam, that added up to $91,000. And we were believing faithfully, trusting, obeying, tithing with all of our heart. And very thankful because he gives so much and we have to return so little. Um, We double our offerings every Sunday when we come to the house of God. This is my father's house. I don't want to come empty-handed. I don't want to give a dollar or two dollars offering. We double it up to a certain amount that would hurt us. (laughs) It's a small amount, but at that time, it was probably like $100 a month. And we were giving the first fruit to the man of God in our lives, which is you. Mm -hmm. The lamp of Jehovah Jireh, my provider, you brought an amazing word To us during these two years, and three months before, here we are. Three months before we go back to Maryland, when we were told God brought us here to prosper us, with ninety-one thousand dollars in our back to take back. And I've been telling everyone I know, and a lot of you've heard it from me, that I'm expecting a ninety-thousand dollars check. And I told you, Pastor. Yes, you did. You said, Elena, when that check comes, I'm gonna jump. And I said, you will see it, and you will jump for me. And I came back, because one morning, FedEx knocked on our apartment door and brought an envelope with a check, and the number was (laughs) $91,000.
2: But I want you to jump. (laughs) Yeah!
0: So, so you guys leave August 14th. You're debt free.
1: We are totally and 100% debt free. Thanks to God. That's wonderful. Glory be to God. Absolutely. Now, now, now listen.
0: You're sitting there saying, yeah, this was a setup. No, 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 no. This is an amazing story. And when someone just yelled, do it again, Lord. Understand that even in the in the Hebrew culture, when people would say, do it again, Lord, it was a blessing on someone God had just blessed, and no jealousy, but Lord, what you did for them, do it again, even though I don't have it. Some of you are sitting there going, I want that. Well, what I'm telling you this morning is this. And, and they were not. They were not. They were not spendthrifts. We went to their house and, and, and hung out their house, and, and they were very careful with their finances, and they were careful what they ate, and they were very, very careful, uh, and very wonderful stewards. But they trusted God and said, "Here is the first fruits, and God, we're going to trust you." And as a result, God, who had placed in their hearts that He was going to do that for them, came through, and they didn't wait to that moment to rejoice. They were rejoicing and, and, and joyful ever before, even before it ever began to happen. And so, my encouragement to you. As it was for them is whatever you're asking god for now you begin to thank him and see it and rejoice in it already Because it's on its way. Thanks, sweetie
1: Thank you for going to my house even when I didn't have a table
0: (laughs) Thanks That is so cool so Here we are You're looking to recover a loss before you ever have anything in your hands You've got to be joyful you've got to rejoice and, and and the rejoicing is a fresh rejoicing. It's not a dreaded rejoice and it's not Oh, and I used to do but it is a fresh rejoicing a fresh view of god I have got this clip I want to show you because it, it just it it happened in st. Paul, minnesota It was during a wedding and you know, you go to weddings and they're very staid and they're just they're, they're they're traditional and but this one the young people Loved the fact that this couple were getting together and that they were going to become one and they rejoiced in it even before the vows were given. And so the audience that was there were completely shocked, but look how these people celebrated. to celebrate so I'm going to jump right right to what I want you to hear and the scripture is there and you can check it as a 310 I'm not going to read it to you right now but I just want you to, to hear this they get together and they build the foundation for the temple <laughs> the temple what they have lost they begin to rebuild and, and while they're rebuilding it the elders look at it and they begin to cry because they remember what once was so you have a choice to look at your loss and wonder, Oh God, look what I, what I lost and it's never going to be the same. And you can, you can cry over what used to be. But the youth looked at what it was to become. And so they began to cry out. And the trumpets began to sound and the cymbals began to be played. They saw with fresh eyes what God had planned and now. What could be theirs? They sang with new song, new voices. There there, there was this antiphonal sound. One side would sing and the other would repeat it and back and forth. And the harmonies must have been just incredible. Where there had not been any music like that. Not only just 70 years, but there had been no real worship there for years. And now it was filling that area. And they began to sing... He is good. And his mercy endures forever. He is good. It is the word there is the covenant goodness of God. He called us back and said, Whatever we bring, He takes it. So here we are. And it endures forever means that I cannot wear out His love for me. It just keeps going and going and going. And literally, the scripture says, the shout was heard for miles. And all they had was a foundation. And a dream. And a a trust that trumped their fear. And a joy that trumped their regret. And an altar that said, I take you as you are. Give me who you are. He sang with great joy in anticipation. It's time for some of you to relay your foundation. It's time for some of you to go back to that holy place and say, I'm going to pick up where I left off. I'm going to obey and, and I've come to, to tell you that, that I was wrong. Some of you need to come to the altar and, and say, here, burn out my sin and hear my cry some of you need to begin rejoicing over what you know God wants to give you and you haven't seen it yet but your joy will help usher that in some of you just need to begin to say I trust him I trust him I trust him I trust you God I declare who you are see you need to sing you need to sing who he is and declare what he's doing and what he will do you saw Elena this morning her story nothing magic about it it's just the way his economy works so this morning we're going to end this gathering with the remainder of our worship that we held till this moment so some of you may need to come and and we call this the altar in church it's symbolic of of the altar in your heart and you may just want to come here and hang out and 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 you may want to come down and worship but we're going to take some time and it's not the end of the service because I'm going to come up at the end and I will conclude this. But right now, I want you with great joy to declare what he is to you and what he's going to do for you in the future. So I'm going to invite the worship team now to begin that. And I invite you to stand and let us worship.
2: Let your mercy reign. on us. Yeah, yeah. You're the faithful. You've always been faithful, Lord. When the world's falling apart. Mm-hmm. So let your mercy reign. Let your mercy reign. your mercy Lord you've already been so merciful you're the faithful one when the world's falling apart so let your mercy Your mercy reign, oh let your mercy Let your mercy So let your mercy Let your mercy reign let your mercy reign, oh so Let your mercy. for your mercy.
0: So now, now may Jehovah God open your eyes to see his love his covenant love for you may you find him in his greatness at your holy place may you find the forgiveness of your sins and the restoration of your life may you discover Your fear of God has removed all other fear. And that that fear of God is an incredible love that surrounds you. And may you discover the joy of his holy presence. So as you live now in faith, and as you see in faith, and as you declare in faith, and as you obey in faith, may you discover the restoration of all that God has planned for you. May you today be set free. May you today understand your forgiveness is complete. May you find your healing today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.